Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, So you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together. Then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. What if I told you that I found a lesbian marriage and family therapist to talk to here all about lesbian relationships? Well, I did, and it was really fun. Her name is Samantha Fox, and she specializes mostly in women who come out later in life after being married to a man, but she has a ton of experience working with lesbians and lesbian couples in all stages of love and intimacy, so we had a lot to talk about. You can learn more about Samantha Fox at CuriousQuestioningAndComingOut.com. But before you do, stick around for my fun conversation with her here. Samantha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to have this conversation. So before we start, why don't you just tell a little bit about your practice, what you do, the work you do, and kind of how you got into it, and we'll take it from there. Sure. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a private practice. I've been in practice for about 12 years. um, And I see a variety of people with all sorts of issues. But I do specialize in women coming out later in life, after marriage specifically. And this came to me as a niche when I was getting my license to be a clinician because I had gone through this myself when I was 32. And so, you know, I just really felt like I lived through this and I wanted to help other people go through it if I could. And so I niched, I had a separate website that was just for that, um, you know, working in therapy with women going through this. I did that for a number of years and felt a little bit limited by having to work with people that were only in New York State because I'm licensed in New York State. Um, And just by the scope of therapy where I can't really share much about myself. So I expanded recently and built another business that's called Curious Questioning and Coming Out. And that's a coaching program for women coming out later in life. And um, I've just run my first program. I just finished it last week. And it was so exciting and so wonderful, and I can't wait to to do more with uh, with this group of women. So, well, congratulations! That's awesome. Um, yeah, as a lawyer, I also felt that having a license was very limiting. It limited me to where I could live, and it limited me to the kind of different ways that I could help people that were coming to me. Um, and being a coach is exciting in that um, 
there's just there's just so much more expansiveness of the ways we can help people and how much we can give of ourselves and like share of ourselves when we're doing it. So um, that's really cool. And so you lived through the experience of coming out uh, after marriage. So how did that go on? Tell me about that. Sounds like a crazy story. Let's see. Um, you know, I think it was brewing for a while. I think my catalyst was 9-11. Uh, living through 9-11 just gave me this feeling of, um, you know, you only get one time through, you don't know when it's going to end, and you better do everything you want to do um, instead of holding on and waiting. I had always had this sense that I was going to have another life, but I was never really uh, consciously aware I didn't let it be a conscious awareness of exactly what that other life was going to be, but it was just this feeling I had was that I was going to have another life. And then 9-11 happened and it was, it was just a catalyst. It just threw me into this place where I started actually looking around. I didn't know exactly what I was looking around for. Um, and I ended up meeting somebody and it was a very short, Maybe about six weeks after meeting this person, I told my husband at the time that I wanted to separate. And that was like a complete shock to him. We had three kids that were um, twins that were five and a two-year-old. So, you know, it ended up being really difficult. Three years went through a, a very, very difficult divorce. Um, he was very unhappy with me. And you know, and I still went through with it and downsized my life a lot. And, and here I am. So it's been quite a journey for the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes a situation like a tragedy to ask ourselves, you know, if we could die tomorrow, what, what other life are we putting off, you know, and maybe can we be that person right now? But yeah, a lot of times going for the life we want can be really difficult, like in a different, difficult divorce, downsizing our lives. It's a lot. So it makes sense then that you would then want to take the, the lessons you've learned uh, and help others uh, midwife them through that process. Yes. And, you know, over the course of the 20 years, I've gone from, I wouldn't call it rigid, but when I came out, I was, a lot of people were like, oh, so you're bisexual. And I, I was like, no, actually, I'm a lesbian. And they're like, well, not really, because you've been with men up until now, so you can't be a lesbian. So that was interesting. And I still identified as lesbian. I still do identify as lesbian. I have never been with a man since I left my husband but I'm just more open. I think it's probably just through being a clinician and working with couples, working with couples that are poly, ethically non-monogamous, and just really being very expansive in terms of what's possible. Those are things I didn't really know about when I came out and I was 32. Um, I'd been a very traditional marriage and um, I now have a lot of ideas about how people can do things. And I think, you know, people can do this in whatever way works for them. There's no one way. Um, I want, I really want to get into more questions about that, um, and what you've learned about that. But what's also really interesting to me that struck me was so funny is when you said that 
when you came out and tried to identify as a lesbian, a lot of people said, no, 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 you have to be bi because you had the husband before. But yet I think other women have the opposite problem. I, th I think I've run into women talking about the opposite problem where they used to be with a man, then they find themselves with a woman and other people just want to les label them a lesbian and say, no, 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 you married a woman, so you have to be a lesbian. So it's funny how other people have all kinds of ideas about how we should or shouldn't refer to ourselves. But that's obviously a whole other, a whole other conversation. It just really struck me as which side it landed on for you. Um, but yeah, but before we go further, um, do you want to jump into the poly and the ENM stuff or is that important? I, I feel like it's important only for those women who are really struggling with a very specific problem, which is this. I'm married. I have a family. I love my husband. He is my best friend. We have built a life together. And I don't really want to leave him. But... I want to be with women. I want to have relationships with women. I want to have, whether it's romantic, deeper, intimate friendships, sexual, whatever relationships they are, I want to have those with women. I've never done that before, but I've been wanting it my whole life. And I don't feel like I can live without doing that, but I also don't want to lose my marriage. And so that's where I feel like the possibilities of poly and ethically non-monogamous open up for people who are open enough and really evolved enough and have the communication skills to actually carry those types of relationships out. And so I like to offer those to women as possibilities and offer to work with them and their partners and their, and their husbands on, you know, how would that look? And navigating it. It's just, it's so complicated and there are so many feelings that can get involved, but yet you're right that it can be very open and very expansive, but then also very difficult, it sounds like. But to work with someone who's qualified and able to midwife people through that sounds really valuable if that's what they need in their life. So are you yourself, Polly? Like, do you practice ENM? I, I'm not. Um, I'm not open and Polly. In fact, I, I, I really was so perplexed by it for such a long time like a long time ago, but as the years have gone on, I've just really seen what it can offer, again, to people who are highly evolved and have really excellent communication skills. Without those, I don't see how it works. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest challenge uh, of, of the women who come to you or that, that's like unique to the LGBT community? Or, or maybe not unique to the LGBT community, but um, what are the biggest challenges that that you end up working with with women? Yeah, I mean, the whole uh, coming out later in life, I think is just, it's complicated on a lot of different levels. Um, I think there is the piece about coming out to yourself, right? So having lived with these feelings for a really long time, but having kept them essentially in the closet, that a lot of women have, a ton of internalized homophobia and coming out also depending on where you live, certainly in this country, but also in the world can really be dangerous. Um, there's the threat of possibly losing your job or losing a lot of time with your kids. 
Um, so it becomes, you know, losing your, your religious community, if you happen to be religious, losing family members. So it's, it's really a terrifying prospect for a lot of women around the world. So I think that is number one. You know, I, I've been hearing a little bit that like people feel like coming out is really scary because even coming out to themselves because there's this pressure that then they have to keep coming out more and more and more until they're fully out in the world. And I like to kind of really just help people start with you just need to come out to yourself first and then working on that self-acceptance and embracing this as a part of your identity. That in and of itself can be a huge piece of work. Yeah, it's amazing, especially in other parts of the world. There's such danger. There's danger of being physically assaulted or put in prison or yeah, of having all your rights stripped away. It's just unbelievable what humans around the world face for just loving who we love. So yeah, so the first most important thing and the first step always is just coming out to ourselves. I remember the minute I came out to myself. It was actually a huge relief. Um, yeah, but I guess for a lot of people, that's not, they don't have that luxury. <laughs> right. Yeah. And people do, some people do feel some relief, but then quickly other feelings start to flood in, right? Which is like fear and guilt, you know, grief, regret. And shame. And I, and like, especially if it's a place where other people will be creeped out by it, you know, you don't want to be a creepy we don't want to creep anyone else out okay so the with your clients the biggest the biggest challenge is the coming out itself um which is so funny i actually had because the coming out part was easier for me my bigger challenge when i first came out was figuring out how to actually date women and you know have relationships with them yeah that's also that's also a challenge uh for a lot of women and um you know, the thing about the program that I'm running is that, you know, as you're trying to come out to yourself and accept this about yourself and embrace it, the group program is just so wonderful because you're with a bunch of other women who are in the same place and the interaction and the support um, from everybody is just so, uh, I mean, it's just great. It's, it feels really good. So what are some things that you observe about women who are first coming out and then the dating challenges that they have or the kind of seeing women through their eyes for the first time or seeing the dating life of, of queer women through their eyes for the first time? Like what are some interesting or surprising or um, what, what are some noteworthy things you can share about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton, right? So um, I think one really common thing for this population of women is this feeling of I'm married to a man and I might be in the middle of separation, but I'm still married to a man and I want to start dating women who on earth is going to date me if I'm married to a man. So that's kind of first is this feeling of nobody in their right mind is going to want to date me. So that comes up a lot. Um, so then how do they get through that? Do you find that does it get in their way? What has been your observation? It's like everything, right? There, there are women, uh, there was, there was a particular participant in my group who was going through the process of separation, not because she was coming out because the marriage really had run its course, 
but in the process of going through the separation also was ready to start dating women. And she encountered some women online that didn't want anything to do with her because she was married and had to still go through a separation and divorce. Um, right. And, but in dating women, we're always going to get rejected by some women. I mean, right, you exactly. know, if it wasn't that, that they rejected her for it would be someone else, just because, you know, that's that's life dating women. We've all anyone who's tried it, you know. Right. So I think, though, that, you know, when it's so new, right, it, you're kind of like 16 right? or so 12. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're like yeah. 12. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like the first experience you've had. And then if that's the first experience that can really shut somebody down, you yeah. know, a lot of bravery and courage to be like, all right, I'm getting back out there again and I'm just going to keep going. But I really encourage people to keep going because you just don't know you, not everybody's going to have that reaction. I remember I was scared because I didn't have experience. I didn't feel like I could go into it with the same confidence that I could go into other things with that I had experience in. And, but it's not that I was in a divorce and people didn't want me because I didn't have experience or maybe I just told myself that story. It's all just stories we tell ourselves. Eventually, two people have chemistry and good luck stopping them. Very cool. So the first thing you were talking about is who's going to want to date me? What are some other things that you see challenges that these women are facing going into their dating life? Yeah. So other things are like, um, you know, who am I attracted to? How do I know who I'm attracted to? So that's another one. And then the other, the, another part of that is when you go on some of the apps, you know, some women are very specific about their type. And so they come to me with, you know, what exactly is masculine of center? What exactly is high femme and what am I right there's this like how do I know what I am (laughs) like am I high femme am I tomboy I don't know what I am so that I love that particular topic I could talk about that for hours on end I just find all of that so fascinating because when I was coming out that was I really had a lot of fun with it I mean I just I I was super curious about all of that and like the chemistry and how it works and Um, so I love this and I love gender expression. I love the idea of women trying to really get in touch with what feels good to them, what feels the most embodied to them about themselves. Right. So like, if you're going to a wedding, what do you want to wear? Right. Cause a lot of women don't want to wear a dress and heels and makeup that makes them really uncomfortable, but they feel like there's something terribly wrong with them for that. And so, you know, I've seen this time and time again, women that are just, they feel so uncomfortable and they have their entire lives about having to dress like a woman in this feminine way. And so I really encourage women to to be curious to what makes them feel hot and sexy really with themselves. Um, And from that, we can gather some information about kind of where they are on the scale of high femme to super butch, you know? Um, and, and then, you know, who am I attracted to? I mean, um, yeah, like if you don't know that you might just really need to get out there and, and date a lot of different people and see. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's really fun. So the first one being, you know, who's going to date me, then getting into the, the, like, sort of what am I and who am I attracted to and who's attracted to me? Um, what are some other, what are some other early challenges that women go through in this process? 
Um, certainly, you know, coming out later in life is this feeling of not really trusting themselves to know what to do on a date. So on a first date, even, you know, do I pay? Does the other person pay? Like all of the things that are very um, heteronormative, do I follow those or am I supposed to do something different and I don't know what to do? So I feel really awkward. What happens at the end of the date? Am I, do I kiss the person? Do I not? Right. So I hear a lot of these kinds of questions. Yeah. Well, the question of who pays, I don't know if that's ever answerable. Um, <laughs> what, do you know the answer to that? No, I do not. Yeah. Um, and then what, how do you answer the question of, do we kiss? Like, do you kiss the person? How do you tell them to answer that? I feel like it's really, a, 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 you really have to tune into yourself. So this is something, you know, I think when you're dating men and you're just in the hetero life, you don't really think about these things as much because many times the man just makes the move. But when you're with a woman, I think you have to be, you have to pick up on more subtle things like the desire to just be sitting closer to the person or like a desire to just touch the person in some way. Like maybe you're walking down the street with them afterwards and you just get this feeling like you want to put your arm around them for a second and like pull them in. Like you have to be really tuned in to what's happening inside your body in a way that not everybody does with men, because I think there's just this expectation, you know, maybe less today than there used to be, but you know, the men, the man's going to kind of lead and I'm going to follow. Um, so it's really like tuning in, really tune in. What are you feeling? What little pangs of desire are you noticing that you might not have noticed when you were with a man because you're just waiting for him to kind of do it, but really tuning into yourself. Totally. And then, but I think at the same time, uh, a concern a woman might have is, does she even want me to? And so then a certain amount of uh, a tuning into her, what advice would you have about that to know whether she actually, because we can be with someone that we most certainly want to kiss and that doesn't necessarily follow that she most certainly wants us to kiss her. So what's your advice? How do we know? Do At that point, I feel like that's where you get explicit. You just say, I really feel like I want to kiss you. Like, is that cool with you? The person says, no, I don't really kiss on the first date, but I'm really enjoying being with you and I'd love to see you again. Great. There's your answer. You know, um, it's hard to be explicit. It's hard to be direct, but I really encourage people to be as explicit and direct as they can be in every part of any relationship, because otherwise you're left just with a lot of assumptions and not knowing. And then you start creating stories about what's happening that are actually not based in reality. Um, you know, at really any two people, just in terms of communication, it's, it's challenging to communicate. It's risky to be direct and explicit. Also, people don't read your mind. They cannot read your mind. So make it into like, can you make it into something flirty and cute, you know, um, and, and see what happens. You're going to get information. If you don't ask, you're not going to get any information back. Okay, fair, but just just on top of that, you know, maybe before you ask, if she's touching you and she's leaning in and she's completely flirting, don't ask. Just kiss the girl if she wants it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> 
so great. So are there any other challenges that are worth mentioning? Anything else come up? These are fun, the ones you mentioned. You've got more. I want to hear them. Um, I mean, I think, you know, depending on where you live in the world, it can be challenging to find people. I think that I've heard, I mean, I've heard some stories about, you know, this was the only other lesbian in my town. So we dated, but I had no attraction to her whatsoever. So, you know, that's challenging, right? Yeah. What do you say about that? I mean, I think that that's actually what I hear is almost the biggest challenge. And I say my, my solution to that is just, we got to remind ourselves that's a story we tell ourselves and actually hot lesbians are everywhere. And um, so we're not going to buy into this too much, but still understanding that this is something that we do tell ourselves and do experience, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Yes. I think being open, I think, you know, looking outside of maybe your 10 mile radius, um, right. Look, look a little bit outside of your area and don't get discouraged. Right. It might take a little while, but eventually somebody's going to pop in that's going to do it. So, yeah, it's easy to get discouraged, but it's not only just that they can get discouraged is that the discouragement can turn into desperation, which can then create just bad energy for even when they were to meet someone good. So it's really a destructive that whole line of thinking about how it's it's hard to find women as a lesbian, I think, is really one of the most destructive that we have. Um, although it's easy to buy into it because we are a minority, but the truth is this is a, a very connected world. There are opportunities everywhere. Um, do you ever encourage anyone to, to think about like changing their physical location? Is there anything that you get into with women about that ever? Um, I haven't. Um, I mean, typically a lot of the women that come to me are sort of awakening to this. And so they're not single, you know, they're not, they're not women who are single, divorced, you know, living somewhere and can't meet anybody. I haven't, it's more people that are like right in the middle of it. Like they're, they're still in the process. They're in the messiness. Like when they come to me, they're really in the messiness still. The messiness of the divorce, of the... The divorce. I mean, the divorce is, you know, divorce period, forget coming out, is just, it's... um I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really just horrific. I think for a lot of people, yes, there are some where people are friends and it's all amicable and they mediate and everything works out really beautifully and they all vacation together. Still these stories exist without a doubt, but for the most part, it's, there's a lot of grief and a lot of loss. And, um, you know, I think I, I really encourage people to slow down and, be with themselves through this. I, I notice a number of people get very involved very quickly, as all lesbians tend to do, and they're not ready to be involved in that level with somebody else because they haven't gone through their own process yet of grieving, of loss, of figuring out who they are now without this person. And, and then there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, if I lose my partner, what am I? Am I still a lesbian because my partner's gone and I was I left my marriage to be with that person, but now they're gone. What am I? So I really encourage people to slow down and do their own work. Yeah. And so, and, that, and when you say do the work, you mean the work of grieving, the work of loss and the work of forming your own kind of new identity. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's such a painful process that it's super easy 
for anyone to just try and jump into a new relationship to not have to deal with processing the loss of the old relationship. So, and that's on top of queer women that jump into relationships faster anyway. Yeah. I mean, I like to really say that it takes, people don't like to hear this, but that it really takes two years to get to see all the different parts of somebody. I mean, you're obviously not going to see everything in two years, but when you meet somebody and three months later, you're ready to get married um, because all those feelings are flowing and the chemistry is there. I really encourage people to slow down because you just, it, it takes time to get to know somebody and to see how they go through a hard time and how you guys go through a hard time together. How are you going to work it out together? Um, or, or even how they work it out on their own and, and how do you feel about how they're working it out on their own, right? So there's a lot of stuff that you can't figure out in three months of dating or really in six months of dating. Um, and so, you know, even with personal friends of mine that have come out later in life, some of them have gotten married very quickly. And um, I have a hard time not saying my truth to people, even though sometimes I feel like I should probably hold my tongue, but I have encouraged people to just hold on. What's the rush? Why do you have to do it right now? You know, they're, they're not people who are having kids. They already have kids from their marriage. They don't want any more kids. Why do you have to do it so fast? You know, I have an unpopular opinion about this too, because I don't know if you heard the statistic about, uh, about same-sex female divorces. I think it's like twice as much as same-sex male divorces and like a third more than I'm forgetting what the exact percentages are and my theory about it is because that this happens because women just are inclined to want to get married <laughs> and then it's like enabling because the two of uh, two of you you know two women there's no man there to put the brake on or to like not just be inclined to want it so yeah I think you make a really good point. So then your advice is just wait, wait at least two years. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think it takes two years to get to know someone. I'm going to say well enough to make some bigger decisions. And I'm going to say it takes two years to fully grieve the loss of a relationship. And when you do them both at the same time, it's extremely complicated so if you're getting out of a marriage, um, in my situation, I was getting out of a marriage while I was already in another relationship. It was very complicated. I couldn't really fully be in the relationship because I was going through so much grieving and loss. And so we were at really different places where my partner at that time wanted to, you know, there was so much excitement. It's like we're forming a life together when all I felt was my life has com completely falling apart and I was losing a lot. She wanted to celebrate everything that was being formed as we were coming together. And so we were on really different pages about where we were. I was grieving a family breaking up and my kids, what they were going through. And my partner was excited because we were moving in together and we were starting a life together, but I couldn't celebrate the life we were starting together until I was able to grieve the life that I was losing. Not because it was the best life in the world and it was my identity, but because it was a life I had for a long time with a family and there was a lot of grief in letting it go and a lot of pain. And that created a lot of friction in the relationship. The relationship didn't end up lasting. It lasted about six years. 
Yeah, I think it's, I think that jumping too fast into a new relationship without grieving the old one, especially if you are grieving the old one. Some people are just sort of over it when they get out of their last relationship. And I've had relationships that I got out of when I was fine. And then there's others where I definitely needed time or else you blow the next thing. You know, I had one where I, where I definitely needed time, didn't take it, completely blew the next relationship. Um, so it's in everyone's best interest. How, is there a set, is there a specific period of time you suggest for people or does it really depend on how broke, heartbroken you are or how broken up you are? Look, I mean, if you were in a terrible relationship that you've been wanting to get out of for a long time, then I think it's probably a relief for the most part. Maybe there's, there's some sadness just about how long you were kind of stuck in it. But if that's not the case, I think I tell people to expect two years. Um, I also work with people whose spouses have come out and they are the straight partner that's left after 30 years of marriage. Right. So, you know, I can tell you it at least takes two years for those people to start to come around to being okay with being with themselves. You know, they're not ready to date right away. So I really think two years is just, it's a solid number. People are like, Oh my God, two whole years. That's so long, but it's, it's pretty realistic. Yeah. So what are some other interesting relationship dynamics you've been observing between, uh, in, in same sex female couples? Uh, so do you mean just for, in general for same-sex female couples, or do you mean just with this population of women coming out later? Do you stop really working with women after they come out or do you continue? It really depends. I think for the most part, when people come to me in a crisis, because this is happening, they're coming out, they're married, they don't know what to do. Their husband doesn't know. They've got a lover and a partner and they need help with navigating it. Usually once they're through it and they're out, they sort of go on to the rest of their lives and only when they get into relationship issues, do they come back. So then I might see them as a couple. As then a queer female couple. Uh Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, do you have any interesting input about uh, from, from the, from the work you do with other queer female couples? You know, I mean, it really, it, it, it runs the gamut. I can't say that there's like any, anything really super specific. I mean, yes, Okay, there's, you know, uh, I find this thing with the female couples that I work with about kind of like the tit for tat, like, I'm doing this, I'm, I've cleaned up, I've taken out the garbage, I've done the chores around the house, now it's their turn, or what are they doing that shows the equal to that? There's, there's, it's like, there's this equality, right? You, you're with a woman. So there's this feeling of like, I'm with a woman. So we're equal, right? We're both women. There's, there's equality here. And in a lot of ways there might be, but I find women really, um, nitpick around that. And they get very sensitive around who's doing what, and I'm doing more than you. And, um, it becomes, it becomes, there be there starts to be friction in a relationship around these issues around chores where somehow when it's with when you're with a man somehow it sort of balances itself out easier even if the woman is the one that's out working and the man is at home with the kids there's not 
typically the same friction that I've picked up on between women around chores and getting things done around the house. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder why that is. I guess it's like you say, the equality, or maybe is it that in other couples, they might divide those tasks. So, so maybe I'm the one who washes the dishes and you're the one who blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, I wash the dishes these days. Now you need to wash the dishes. So it's like not wanting to do that, not wanting to kind of fully divide it, but thinking we, we both should share all of it. Yeah. It feels like that. It's, it's, it's like there's something difficult about, and I don't think it's every couple, um, and I've, I've experienced this myself. I'm a serial monogamist, so I've had a number of long-term relationships, and I've experienced it with other partners more than, more than others, where there is this friction around what's being done and who's doing it, where sometimes it's just, it's clear and easier. Um, so yeah, there's something around that that I have noticed. Very interesting. Um, any other interesting uh, queer female relationship challenges that you've observed? Um, I mean, you know, it's hard to say that they're like specific to queer females, right? So there's like the sexual dilemma of desire discrepancy, right? One person has a higher level of desire than the other, and they don't really know what to do with that because at some point their partner doesn't it seems like unwilling essentially to continue wanting to have sex and conversations kind of get shut down around it I mean this can happen also in in straight couples though so totally yeah I don't know that it's specific to queer females though I have heard some you know some issues where you know one member of the couple is just a lot more open to everything like toys and sex play where, and the other member of the couple is really not. And I mean, in this area around sensual time together, I just like to really encourage couples to be as playful as you can. Yeah. You know, the idea that like everybody has to have an orgasm every time you have sex. I try to really break up these ideas for people, uh, I, I mean, I do a lot of like, okay, like the couples comes in, we're not having sex. Okay, tell me what's your definition of sex? Like, what is having sex to you? Right? And it's like, well, you know, I don't know, we fool around for a little while, then we both have an orgasm. So it's like, or with a straight couples, intercourse and an orgasm, oh, almost always. So it's, it's very narrow. And I'm like, okay, can we open this? Like, let's really open up this idea of what sex is. And then sometimes couples can't do that, you know, with two women because somebody's really just uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable with gay sex, or then there are women that don't want to be penetrated, um, that have never been penetrated and don't want to be penetrated, but they're with somebody who wants to be able to do that. So, I mean, there, it gets, there gets to be complications, um, that I can see happening, between two women. Yeah, because with heterosexual sex, like you said, if it's just intercourse and that's pretty basic, like we do it or we don't do it. But with same-sex female couples, there's so many more options for what that even means or how that could even go down and then how to, how to navigate who wants what or what if anyone wants anything, right? Someone may not want to be penetrated, but there's a million other things that she does want to do. 
but what is going to be satisfying to both? It is a really interesting question. So your answer then, your answer to that challenge is to encourage playfulness, you were saying? Playfulness and to, and to take away the goal of anything other than pleasure. The goal is pleasure. It's not an orgasm. It's just pleasure. If it feels good, if it's fun, you know, play, like just play. That's the goal, right? Yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to want to have an orgasm. Great. It doesn't have to be every time. I've seen couples with tons of pressure around the orgasm where people, you can't have an orgasm if there's tons of pressure. And, and one partner's in tears because the other one doesn't have an orgasm every time they have sex. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of just focusing on the negative, what about some, you know, really sweet, juicy benefits of, of being two females together that maybe are a happy surprise for women who do sort of make this transition? Yeah. I mean, I think sex with another with another woman just opens up all kinds of possibilities that many women have not really allowed themselves to imagine. And so they end up in a place where they're doing all sorts of things and trying all sorts of things that they literally never even knew were possible and getting pleasure in ways they never knew were possible. Um, I think there's just, you know, the, the intimacy between two women, the connection, the energy, the closeness, you know, the ability in the middle of something really intimate to just break out in full laughter at something and then get back to it. You know, it's just fun. And I think it opens up so much more pleasure, I think, for women, you know, especially when you think about just intercourse. I mean, most women don't orgasm just from intercourse. So, yes, there can be penetration between two women, but that's not the focus all the time. There are so many other things to do. So it's, it's kind of like being an explorer, you know, you get to just find stuff out about yourself, about your body, about the other person's body. It's, it's fun. Yeah, amen to that. And definitely agree that people speak of a way more intense intimacy and connection and energy and closeness between two women than there, than there often would be in heterosexual matchings. So what would you say are some of the things you've learned about the community from doing the work that you do? Anything interesting that stands out? You know, it, I, I do notice that there's so, so women coming out later in life have been deemed like they're late bloomers. And I think in within that community, and now there's a very large community of late bloomers. There are many people that have sort of online communities or Facebook pages, you know, where all the late bloomers gather and chat. So in those specific communities, so much support. I mean, just so much support. Um, you know, these women are really going through it and they can share anything and they really get a lot of a lot of heartfelt support from other women. For anyone who might be looking for one, is there any that you can recommend? Yeah, the Bloomer Society is one. Bloomer Society. Bloomersociety.com. And then the other one is a Facebook page that's called Vita Nova. Very cool. All right. Uh, Bloomersociety.com and Vita Nova, the Facebook group. All right, so they have really supportive online communities. That's really nice. Um, 
if you could like wave a magic wand and give one thing to help the LGBT community or help them like get over a certain something or make a change in a certain positive way, what do you think you would do to help the community? Yeah, I mean, for this particular population, I feel like compulsory heterosexuality is so um, powerful, like in terms of how it has affected, I mean, it really affects everybody, right? Like the minute you're born and you're just deemed, you're female, you have a vagina, oh, it's a girl, she's gonna marry a man, she's gonna have kids, really the same thing for men, right? So if I could wave a magic wand, I would love to do away with that and have people just be born as people and, take away the stigma that comes with being, you know, anything other than heterosexual, because it really, it limits people and it's, it feels very controlling. I mean, and I think it's, it is controlling. And I think the purpose of it is to control society and, and, but people believe so much in it. It's hard for them to even understand that it's there and see outside of it. And, and there's something about it that they actually feel like safe within. It's like, oh, like, I like the structure. I like to know what I'm supposed to do, what I should do, how to be pleasing to others, right? And if I had a magic wand, I would do away with all of that. Yeah, all over the world. I mean, the good news is I do think that if you're born in certain liberal cities, in certain big liberal cities, whether it's in America or certain parts of Europe and other parts of the world where there are Western values. When you're a little kid in today's world, in, in 2021, when we're, when we're recording this interview, I do think that little kids today kind of are in those places being brought up with the question of what are you, what are you into, as opposed to just that assumption, but that's a very limited set of places. So it's cool that we can see what that might look like for for the world when it's everywhere, but there's absolutely certain places in the world where the structure of what you're supposed to do is absolutely inflexible um, and unbreaking. And it's really sad. And so that would be a beautiful thing if we could just break that compulsory hetero assumption. Yeah. The And the other thing I would do is just you know, and, and, and I think this comes along with that, but just this idea that women are, are, are pleasing. They're, they're there to please others. They're there to take care of others. And yes, we are maternal and we have these instincts to be caring, but that you're, you don't have to take care of everybody all the time. You know, what about taking care of yourself? What does that look like? And a lot of women feel like, oh, well, that's selfish. You know, I'll be, I'll be selfish if I'm focusing on me and doing what's right for me and then my family's going to suffer. I don't think that that's true. I think that you taking care of yourself is going to show your kids that they can take care of themselves when they get older. You're modeling what it's like to do self-care and to consider yourself and not put yourself last. Yeah. You're right. And there is a really important distinction between having the instincts and being really good at being a caregiver versus feeling guilty if we do anything for ourselves, which is a totally different thing. And kind of breaking the idea that self-care is selfish because it's not. But how do you know the line then between when self-care might become selfish? Is there any 
tool you have for knowing? I mean, you know, I think I don't really have like a specific tool in terms of where, you know, to draw the line. I just think that a lot of women straight and queer, you know, really struggle with putting themselves first and instead they put other people first. And in this case, for women coming out later in life, it could be, well, my husband is depressed. He's really struggling with the idea that I'm attracted to women and that I want to leave. And he's not doing well. So I'm just going to stay. And I'm not going to come out now. You know, I mean, I, like, he needs help. He needs professional help. Maybe you can help him get the help he needs, but you can't take care of him and put yourself second. How long are you going to do that for? You know, what's that costing you? So it doesn't mean you can't care about somebody. You can be, you can have compassion, you can care, but also we've got one time through, right? This is it. This is your one time through. So how can you also take care of yourself and care about somebody else? You can assist them to get the help they need, but do you have to be the one to do it? Or to sacrifice your life or another person's life who, even when you're there, is depressed and unhappy anyway. So, I have a question going back to the poly thing, but I, it, it kind of came up in my head, and I'm wondering if you had a thought about it. When we were talking earlier about... Um, when we were talking earlier about the relationship structures around polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, you mentioned why that could be really ideal for a person who doesn't want to leave their husband or family because it could really open up new possibilities. What do you think about polyamory and ethical non-monogamy among people that are just already out, you know, who just want that arrangement having nothing to do with being stuck with one male partner that they can't get away from. Do you have any thoughts around that or is it just something outside of your. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have people that I work with that identify as poly and that is their identity. And so they are actively dating or involved with multiple partners. And my thought is really that it's extremely complicated. It takes a lot of energy. It can be extremely rewarding, but you have to be up to the task here, which has to do with tons of transparency, tons of really effective communication that is explicit. So you, you really need to be in touch with yourself. I mean, it's a lot, I feel like it's a job in and of itself. It might be a very rewarding job for people who are in that community and have that identity that they feel very rewarded by this abundance of love. And I think that's great if it works for you. I'm very supportive of that. It's just, it takes a lot of work. It's not an answer for a relationship that is faulty and that is struggling. So it's not the answer for my wife and I don't get along anymore and, and we're not having sex. So we're going to stay together, but we're going to just start seeing other people. I mean, it's not that simple. It's really complicated. It's, it's, it's very involved. There's a way to do it. There are rules that have to be made and followed. There's checking in with your partner, 
with all of your partners. I mean, it's, it's really complicated. Like I said, it's like a job. So yeah, I, I'm not against it in any way. I think it's wonderful for those that do it and do it well. It's just a lot of work. I was once hanging out with a friend of mine where I said some things I shouldn't have said, I think, because this friend of mine, I believe, cheats some, sometimes in, in uh, across relationships. And I, you know, I sort of called them out on this re- repeated pattern of cheating and said, why not just give polyamory a try or ethical non-monogamy? And, but, you know, when you do put it that way, maybe cheating is just easier. <laughs> a lot of work. I think, I mean, the poly is a ton of work. I think ethical non-monogamy is less work, but that the work is really with, with your partner it, because you still have your one partner and there's still the communication and you have to be transparent with your actual partner and the rules are there with your partner. And then you work, you know, you go out and you do your thing, whether it's don't ask, don't tell, or it's okay to be with other people, but only if you're traveling or you can't be with the same person twice, right? There's a a lot of different rules. Rules. Yeah. And the funny thing, I guess, about this, this, this friend of mine that, that cheats, I think in some ways there's, you talked about a lot of self-awareness. I think sometimes it happens almost with a lack of self-awareness or pretending it's not really happening and maybe it's exciting when there are no rules. So it's a completely different. Totally different. But then someone else gets hurt. And so I think my point was you can have really exciting multiple relationships in a way where nobody gets hurt. It just requires going this other path that does exist it's not an easy path necessarily but it's it is there to be to be taken advantage of but then again it's way harder than just cheating cheating is definitely the easy and not entirely fair way out and i agree with you there's polyamory and ethical non-monogamy for those who are built for it and who desire it great for them i also am a serial monogamist so i can't fathom it from my own personal i'd be unhappy but uh yeah Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about cheating being easier, I work with a lot of couples and the aftermath of the cheating is not easy. Yeah. I was only really kidding, I think, but you're right. In the long run, it creates way more destruction and way more damage and it is not easier. And it was probably a bad joke that I made. (laughs) (laughs) I I understood what you meant. It just, it really isn't easier, you know? No, and it's not nicer at all. It's way braver and more beautiful to do it the right way, which is through the right rules. I feel like that. I also feel like that opens up conversations with your partner about things that are not happening in the relationship that you'd like to be happening and possibly being able to work something out between the two people. And if not, you're getting feedback from having the conversation about the relationship and what's possible and how open you guys are and what's the value of the relationship to you. You know, you might just be someone who, who is not into being open or ethically non-monogamous and poly, which is, I, I can relate to because I'm in the same boat as you. Um, it wouldn't be for me, but I just think you, you're by just going and cheating, which is definitely easy, like step out, just slide out. You don't have to do anything, right? You don't get a whole lot of information back about your current relationship. Um, and it is a very unaware way. Or about yourself. Or about yourself. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. 
polyamory and, and ethical non-monogamy seem to be a pretty interesting container for growth for those who are willing to go through that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So is there anything I haven't asked you about that I should? Anything juicy that you think we can cover? Advice that you often end up find yourself giving women or couples or... I feel like we've covered it. I mean, around sex, really trying to keep the frame of pleasure. Sex is about pleasure, period. And letting go of all the things that you learned about um, heteronormative sex. Just let those go. And have fun. Yeah, and have fun. Yeah, just play. Just play. You know, in terms of dating, I think, you know, and not knowing, not knowing who you're attracted to, not knowing who's going to be attracted to you. I, I feel like, again, I mean, to me, this is all such playful territory. Uh, I see this as just fun. And I know it, it's forever. It's not for everybody. And I understand it can be very stressful for people. But again, I feel like that's a lot of that is because of the compulsory heterosexuality and because you don't fit into some box that was created for you. And the advice I really want everybody to take is just to try to let the boxes just break open, just step out of the box. And, and if that's really uncomfortable for you, then do some work to figure out why and what that's about for you, right? Because being queer is not about being in a box. You know, it's, it's spacious. And by work, I know you mean uh, that, that it of course, includes therapy. Are there other things that you would recommend to people who are going through this process that or would be great resources? Therapy is one thing or doing like a coaching group, like the, the Curious Questioning Coming Out group that I have for married women. You know, there is a ton of work that is done in that. Um, there's a lot of reflection work to, you know, instead of spending, you know, five years in therapy or whatever, you can do this work a little bit in a little bit faster way uh, with support of me or support of a group. And by reflection work, you mean that you're asking them to consider certain questions about themselves and then they take time to really sit with those? Yeah, the program that I have is, it's basically organized in a way where there are weekly reflective prompts and exercises for you to do on your own, whether it's journaling, there's some meditation, and then throughout the period of the course, you can do asynchronous coaching. So you can check in and say, hey, I was doing my sexual history and this thing came up, but I don't really know what it means. And I will, you know, get back to you. So it's not like one-on-one, -on -one, like sitting together for 45 minutes or an hour in therapy, but we're still going back and forth about things that are impactful and meaningful without having to take tons of time to know everything about someone in their entire family history. And so it happens like a little bit faster um, with the support of a group without all the regular like confidentiality type things where, you know, you can't really, you know, you, you don't want anyone to know your name. You don't want anyone to know that you're in therapy. This is a group of people that are in a coaching group together. So, you know, everybody's name. You can chat with the other women. There is a, a private platform on which they can chat with one another privately or on the just on the network. So something like that also, just doing the work. Yeah. So um, for 
women who want to find you and, and learn more about what you do and have access to some of the things you're putting out into the world, where can people go to learn more? Yeah, so if you just uh, look up CuriousQuestioningAndComingOut.com, you'll come to the website. You can sign up for a free every other week video that I send out talking about different topics that women send in questions, and I just answer them and, and send out videos for anyone who's interested. You'll have access to the entire library of videos that way, and you'll see the programs on there. You can also find me on Instagram. On Instagram, it's CuriousQuestioningComingOut, no end. And yeah, that's, that's where you'll find me. All right, Samantha, this is so much fun. I'm really grateful you took the time to talk to me and share all of what you've been doing with an audience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jordana, for having me on. It was really a pleasure. Talk to you soon. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passion and intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a class on the number one thing you can do to end your loneliness if you're single, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, a guidebook on finding your lesbian soulmate, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of these things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. <laughs>